to the book of Ephesians, and we're going in, we are in chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 verses 11 to 22, Lord willing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Let's read. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that, at, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who have been formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them in both in one body to God through the cross, by having, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a a dwelling of God and the Spirit. Okay, Paul is continuing his, his, his note to the uh, Ephesians. And one of the things that Paul does in this letter is he has a, a, a major theme in this letter. And that theme is unity. And the theme is things being reconciled in Christ. In fact, he, goes, he talks about this back in chapter 1. I want you to go back to chapter 1 real fast. And in chapter 1, we sort of... Um, read it before in, in verse 22. Um, it says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. In fact, go back previously, uh, in earlier in chapter 1, and uh, find my place here. Verse, well, let's go to, uh, uh, boy, boy, boy. Where's my, you know what it is? It's funny because when you start looking, when you're on stage and you start looking, you're like, where'd it go? It just disappeared. Anyway, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't worry about it. The whole point is that, is that Paul is going to make the argument that one of the things that, that God wants to do in the church is, is bring people together in Christ. Okay? It's a common theme. He talks about peace here in this chapter. He talks about unity in the rest of the book. And this is one of the major themes here. Now in chapter 2... He says, I pray that you would understand, or chapter 1, he says, I pray that you would understand what is the hope of his calling, 
the riches of inheritance, and the power of God. Okay? Then he goes on. That's the end of chapter 1, rather. At the beginning of chapter 2, he says, now here's about the power of God. You were once dead, but now you're alive. Okay? The main point last week was Christ made you alive. You were dead, now you're alive. In this uh, section of chapter 2, he's saying, you guys once were distant, now you're close. Now he's specifically talking to the Gentiles in the church. Now let's get a little, let's talk about this because in the early church you had Jews and Gentiles. We don't make the same distinctions, you know, but in the early church it was Jewish people and Gentile people, okay? To the Jew, there was Jew and Gentile. Gentile was anybody who wasn't Jewish. To the Greek, there was Greek and barbarian. If you didn't speak Greek, they called you barbarian because it sounded like, to them, there was like, you're speaking bar, 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 like that. You know, that's what they said. Okay, Greek and Barbarian. So they made these distinctions. Okay, the early church was actually mostly Jewish. Jewish believers, right? Acts chapter 2, a lot of Jewish people. But then eventually, in the, uh, the book of Acts, the, the gospel went primarily to, to the Gentile. Because a lot of the Jewish people stopped accepting Christ. So Paul now is turning his attention to the, to the Gentiles in the church. He says, now you Gentiles... You were once far away, but now you've been brought near. Okay? And this whole point is going to be is that in this, in this section here, he's going to say, you Gentiles have been brought near. And I always got to wonder, is like, why would he do that? Why would he bring that up? Perhaps the Gentiles are feeling second class. You have uh, indications in scriptures where there were situations where uh, people were being favored based on their, if they were Jewish or Gentile. They're Jewish, they're favored, they're Gentile or not. Okay? That happened in the book of Acts. Paul actually says that he rebuked Peter in the book of Galatians because Peter decided to, he said to eat with the Gentiles, but then when the, Gen- the Jewish believers came, he's like, well, forget you guys, I'll go still here. So Paul rebuked that. So what Paul is doing here, he's going to tell them, is looking, you guys aren't second class, but you've been joined together with Christ, with these Jewish believers, Okay? The theme here is going to be really a theme of unity, okay? A theme of bringing two sides back together, okay? Whether it's people to people or people to God. His main emphasis here in this chapter is actually first is Jew and Gentile, okay? Um, that's going to be his, one of his main uh, first points is the, um, the bringing back together of, of two sides on the same page. Does that make sense? Okay. In fact, later on, he'll talk about this unity. Look at um, chapter, th- look back at, um, where was I on? Chapter 2? Chapter 2. Um, look at chapter 4. In fact, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to another in love, being diligent to preserve the what? The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Then he goes on and talks about the unity. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you recall, then one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, etc., etc., right? He's actually going to develop that point later on. He says, now how does that unity work out? Well, he's going to develop it within the family. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands, right? He's going to develop that, the rest of the, the rest, that the idea of unity is going to be developed in relationships. We haven't gotten there yet, right? 
I'm sort of jealous of the ladies because you guys are covering the chapter 6 of Ephesians. You know all the, the good stuff, you know, the, the warfare stuff. You know, we're still into doctrinal stuff, you know, but we're getting there, you know. The point is, is that Paul is saying, listen, what Christ has, has done on the cross of bringing the separation that was between God and man, bringing us back, right, with the Lord, is also has to be seen in relationships as well, on a horizontal level, okay? Now, we all know that this, this is hard to maintain, right? There's something always wants to pull us apart or... There's warring factions, you know? And warring factions happen not just on the battlefield, they happen in the household, right? Paul's going to address that as well. So there's a foretaste of that, what's to come. You know, so he develops that idea uh, of how that works out. How does that work out, you know? But the foundational doctrine is here in chapter 2. Does that make sense? So here in this section, there's three words. There's three words, three concepts we're going to look at. The first word... <coughs> is separation or alienation. We'll call it separation. That's actually going to be in the first few verses. Separation. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. The reality was, as a Gentile, we are alienated from God. We were separate from God. Formerly, we were separate do you notice, look at verse 11. Do you notice what he says here? He says that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the... He's, 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 what he's doing, he's, he's repeating some of the attitudes of the Jew against the Gentile. The Jewish person hated Gentiles. They looked down on the Gentiles. There was such contempt against Gentiles. In fact, uh, some of the rabbis taught that God created Gentiles just for fuel for fire in hell. That if you had, um, that, that only God loves Israel, he hates the Gentiles. That was their attitude, okay? Just think about this. this. This sort of like, we're better, we're the chosen people, you guys are just made for fire, for hell, and so too bad about that, you know? In fact, they had, they even said that it was unlawful. If you were, if you were a, um, if you were a, let's say a woman or something, and you had a, a friend who was a Gentile, and she was pregnant, and you were Jewish, it was unlawful for the Jewish woman to help the Gentile woman give birth. Because you bring a new Gentile into the world. And he said that was unlawful. That's what the rabbis taught. That's, that's kind of like, you know. Um, so Paul says, you know, the circumcision, and, and, and that's referring to the, to, to the distinction of, of, of the Jew and Gentile. You had this attitude that was going on. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Gentile. Right? Thank you, God, I'm not a woman, and I'm not a Gentile. That's what the the, the really pious Jewish person to pray. Um, so there's this, there was this distinction, there was this, this attitude, this them and us, we're better than you guys, sorry, you know, you're firewood. What? That was the attitude. 
You are separate from God. You're not one of the chosen people. We have Abraham. We have the covenants, right? In fact, the Jews were so... Some of the Jewish people that came into the church were still wanting to hold on to the Jewishness that they forced the Gentiles to become circumcised. Paul addressed that in the book of Galatians. Uh, he even says in Galatians 6, go to Galatians 6 real fast. It's right to your left, like two pages. Galatians 6 and verse 12 says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not, pers- that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul even boasts of the fact that he was circumcised, he was a good Jew, he was circumcised eight day, he followed the law, you know. There was this attitude. You're, you're not circumcised, you're Gentile. Well, this was creeping and still in the church. Here's, Paul is talking to Gentile believers, which makes me think that there's still Jewish believers having an attitude against the Gentile believers. You, you know, things, bad things happen when you start making distinctions. When you start looking at somebody else, even within the church, and saying, well, there, did you, do you know who that person is? Da-da-da, right? Do you know her background? Oh, she's not. Oh. You know, that, kind of, that creeps in, right? Um, because, you know, when you become the Christ, you don't instantly become perfect. Oh, I wish, I wish we could, right? Come on, that would be awesome. No, you come to Christ, you know, here comes a person in the door. She just came off the streets. I'm, I'm, nobody's here yet, but... <laughs> yeah, everybody's turning around. <laughs> Watch, there's somebody that can come in the door, right? She's not dressed right. She smells. She's obviously been drinking, but she's come to church. Pharisee said to Jesus, oh, if this man were, or thought, if this man were a holy man... If you're a prophet of God, you know what kind of woman this is. She's a sinner, right? That same attitude often happens within our, in our hearts, right? We, we size people up. You know, they size people up. You're uncircumcised. Paul says, what is that? Yeah, it was given by God to Abraham as a distinct mark, but that's all it was at that point. It was supposed to signify something that happened in the heart, but of course it didn't always get there. So they so focused on the outward part, as Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. The outside looks really nice and pretty, but inside you're full of dead mind bones. Your heart hasn't been changed. So, God said, so Paul says your uncircumcision or your circumcision means nothing if your heart's not changed. He says, he actually says, he says there's five things that Gentiles had against them. First of all, uh, go to verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. He says, remember, remember when you were, before you became a Christian, you were separate from Christ. You were without Christ. You had no Messiah. The, they had no concept of a Messiah. The Jews had a Messiah. Now, the Messiah was supposed to be, you know, they were supposed to bear good news about the Lord and, and share that, but they didn't have that. So here's this Greek, here's this Gentile who has no concept of a Savior, has no concept of, of a hope. You had none of that. None of the scriptures that they have. Now, they had, some, they had some proselytes. What's that? A proselyte was somebody who wanted to follow the Torah. So they, be, they converted, so to speak, uh, to, to being a Jew, but they 
That's the exception, okay? He says, you guys had no Messiah. You had no expectation that, that your history was going anywhere. Jewish history, yes, going somewhere. Someday a Messiah is going to come and rule on the world, right? Someday he'll be king, right? But for a Gentile, the, the Gentiles, even at this time, they thought the earth went in 3,000-year cycles. And every 3,000 years, things would burn up, burn up and dis- be destroyed and start again. It was like a cyclical thing, and they had, there was no expectation of anything good. Is it, is it cold in here? Is it cold? That's okay. Sorry. Always cold in here? Hey, that's, hey, here's the trick. You keep it cold, people stay awake. You turn a little warm, people get a little cozy and get a little, <laughs> a little sleepy. You know? It's by design. <laughs> it's all by design. <laughs> okay. <laughs> turn up the heat, he says. <laughs> what, was, what was I talking about? I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Cold. Gentiles, what? 3,000. Okay, so the Gentile had, there was, there was a, there was no expectation of anything good, of history going somewhere. Like as Christians, we know the Lord's coming back, right? We, we have all those promises, you know? As an unbelieving Gentile, they didn't have any of that. When you died, that was it. There was no concept of, of, of a resurrection. There was, there was sort of like you went to the netherworld and, or you were gone. So it was, no, it was very depressing. Depressing. As a Christian, we have hope. When somebody dies, if they're a believer, we grieve over the fact that we're going to miss them and not be able to spend time with them, but we know someday we'll be with them, right? So that gives us comfort. Those who die without the Lord or those who have no expectation of what happens after you die, that's a sorry state. But Paul says, you guys were at that time separate from Christ. He said, secondly, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. He says, um, where was I at here? Separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You have no, uh, the commonwealth uh, uh, refers to, or uh, this, uh, you're alienated or you're, you're excluded. Um, if you think of, of Israel being a country with citizens, you are not a citizen, is what he's saying. You didn't have the privileges of being a citizen or the rights of being a citizen. You were strangers in somebody else's land. You couldn't claim these promises, he said. You had no hope without the Messiah. And even if you lived in the land, you, hadn't, you still had, you had no citizen. You had no rights to that. He says, thirdly, that you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers to the covenants of promise. God made covenants with his people. The first covenant he made was the covenant with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant is probably the most important covenant Entire, in fact, it links the entire scriptures. Okay? The Abraham covenant, God says, I'm going to give you land, give you seed, and give you blessing. <clears throat> Underneath the seed category, he develops a second covenant called the Davidic covenant. That's a promise he gives to, to King David. He says, David, there will be from your line a king on the throne. Okay? That's the second covenant. So all they had, the Jewish person had, we have Abraham covenant, we have a Davidic, we're going to have a king. All right? The third covenant is the new covenant. Now, I skipped the Mosaic covenant for a reason. Because the Mosaic covenant really is a covenant of promise. It was a covenant of blessings or curses. But it wasn't the same thing as the promise. These other covenants were unconditional. 
Time out. Someday, how about we do this? Someday we'll do a deep study on the covenants, if you're interested. We can do that, okay? Because I like to go deep on that stuff, because there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm skipping like 30,000 verses right here, okay? So I'm just giving you, you know, I, for the sake of, uh, uh, for the sake of, uh, of time. He says, you were strangers, um, strangers to the covenants and, and uh, the covenants of promise, and having no hope and without God in the world. So he's painted this picture with them. He's painting this, 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 uh, this picture of, not doom and gloom, but sort of like hopelessness, you know? You guys were, were hopeless. Um, in fact, he says, fifthly, he says, you were without God in the world. The word there for without God is atheos. We get the word atheist from it. Do you know that in the early, um, early um, well, first centuries or so, Christians were called atheists? Here's why. To the early Roman and Greek, they had multiple gods. You Christians only have one. You guys are atheists. Without God, is what they were saying. Okay? We th- somebody who doesn't even believe in God... They're on the atheist. To that, to 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 them, Christians were atheists because we only believe in one. So back then, the issue wasn't whether or not God existed. The question was whether there's more than one, and which one is the right one. Okay, so different thinking. Of course, they they were very, they all believed in gods. So it's the which which is the right one. He says you were without without God in the world. You were an atheist. Um. So we were alienated. We were, as Christians or as Gentile believers, we were looked down upon. The Jewish person, the Jewish believer, often felt more superior than the Gentile. Well, I'm a Jewish believer. That's my Messiah. I am circumcised. Oh, you poor Gentile. Yes, welcome to the club. But, you know, that was the attitude. This, this feeling of being superior it's still in the church. You know that? If you have the attitude, you look at an unbeliever, and you have this attitude like, I am better than that. And maybe it doesn't vocalize itself that way, but sometimes we can have the attitude like, oh, obviously this person doesn't know their Bible, you know, and we had this, you know, I was circumcised the eighth day and raised, memorized the scripture every single day of my life, you know, and that kind of thing. And we're like, you know, or we treat people differently based on their physical appearance, based on how they come across, you know. Here, here's one person who's been walking with the Lord for 30 years. Here's another person who just met Jesus. And Paul's saying, you got to be careful. Now, hopefully the one who's been walking with the Lord for 30 years has, <laughs> has an humble heart, you know. But Paul says, you got to watch that. This happens. James talks about it. James chapter 2. Look at, look at the book of James. James chapter 2. <clears throat> Actually, go to chapter 1 first and then go to chapter 2. So, so in chapter 1, he says, during, during trials, verse 9, he says, But the, let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will, he will pass away. 
what he's going to be telling in, in the book of James, he's telling him, listen, whether you're of, hum, of poor, uh, poor or humble circumstances or whether you're rich, and you face trial, if you're poor, glory in the fact that you have a high position in God. If you're rich, glory in the fact that, that uh, glory in, in humiliation, knowing that whatever you have is going to pass away. Does that make sense? Go to chapter 2. Then he says, My brethren, do not hold your faith and our glorious Lord with an added, uh, Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man with dirty clothes, and you, space, you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes, and you say, Hey, you sit here in a good place. Here, this front row right here is all for the rich people right here. Those who are, can you imagine? You're in the wrong row. <laughs> can you imagine, though? Do you know, I've been to churches where they have that, where they have, I'm not going to say where, where it is, but somewhere in California, but uh, where they have, where people will pay top dollar to, to reserve their seats, and their name tags are on the seats, at least it was back how many years ago we visited. That, that boggles my mind. So if you have money, you can pay for a seat, and that will be your seat, and they'll have your name on it, a little, little plaque thing, you know, whatever, name tag thing. And James says, that all not to be. This favoritism. He says, you say, he says, you spatial, if you space, verse 3, special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes, and you say, hey, you sit here, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my, or sit my footstool, you know, or get out of the way, you know? Can you imagine that? Go back to, uh, go back to, to, to Ephesians. So Paul is he's addressing the Gentile. This is what gets me. He's addressing the Gentile believers in the, in the church at Ephesus, right? A church that was primarily uh, Gentile because of being in Ephesus and all that. But the fact he has to bring this up tells me something. It tells me that something was going on. Paul, why are you bringing this up if this was not happening? Hey, you Jewish person, you're a believer now. Gentile, you're a believer now. But you're not second class. Do you know, <clears throat> this is what happens in even church today is that we sometimes feel like we have to become Jewish to, to really be Christian. Um, there's, some, there's some groups that, that now, let me, just, perfect, let me just clarify this. It's okay to celebrate the fact that we have Jewish roots, right? Right? The holidays and all that kind of stuff, you know? But if you start thinking you're better because you have a little tailite over your neck... You're not. Can you appreciate the, those things? Fan, yes, of course. But that does not make you a better believer than the person who doesn't do that. And there's a, there's, there, there's, I don't say movement, there's, there's a tendency of some of those who do that to start thinking, now we are, now really, we got the insight. No, we no. In fact, Paul's going to argue that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Now, can we appreciate? Yeah, of course we can. But, the, but to use that as to say, I am better than this other side who doesn't do that? Well, don't you know what that feast really means? Don't you know that Jesus is coming back on that feast day? Really? I'll sell a lot of books if you can tell me what day Jesus comes back, you know? <laughs> How many reasons, you know? My point is, Paul is saying, that's not going to matter. And we'll, t- we'll talk about it in a second. So we were alienated. We were we were, we were, we were, some people feel superior from a Jewish standpoint or say a person who's been walking with the Lord, they feel superior to the one who's not. Let's think about the other person. 
They feel inferior. Why not measure up? I don't have scripture memorized. I barely, I, I barely like to read my Bible. I, barely, I can barely pray. I don't like to pray because I get embarrassed because people here, I don't know how to say the right words. What's, how do you say that biblical concept? So they shy away, right? I don't fast, right? I don't know the words to these songs. I feel inferior. Maybe I'm not that good of a Christian. You know, maybe I should just be quiet and not... Can you imagine that person? That feeling that person has of feeling inferior? I just don't measure up. Well, if I don't measure up to their standards, maybe I don't measure up to God's standards. Maybe I should just... just join the Christians who don't feel like Christians group, right? (laughs) You know? I think Paul, I think this was possibly going on in the church of Ephesus, that there were people who were made to feel inferior. And Paul's trying to raise them up and say, no, you guys, yeah, you were separate, guess what? You've been brought close. Go back to Ephesians 2. In fact, he says that. You guys were separate. Y'all were separate? You were, past tense, separate. But now, verse 13, but now what? You've been brought near. Something about when you turn your Bible and you can't, you can't even spell Ephesians, you know? You're like, <laughs> it's somewhere in here. <laughs> like, hey, we have fun, don't we? You guys are quiet. Quiet. Ephesians 2, verse 12, or verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near. Second word. First word was what? Where's the first word? Separation. You were separated. You were alienated. You were inferior. You were distant. But now, second word is this. Reconciliation. You were far away. Now you've been brought near. Second word. Reconciliation. But now, because of the death of Christ on the cross... He has reconciled those two groups, okay? Now, we're going to get into the, to the thick of things here. Oh, my goodness. Forget about the time. Time doesn't matter. Lord, I pray that time stands still. Okay. Reconciled. You have two groups, right, that are at odds. Two groups that are at odds. They don't see eye to eye. But Christ has, but Christ has brought them into one. You know, Paul talks about reconciliation in several places. And the word to reconcile... It means it comes from the root word that means to exchange. Okay, there's uh, three. Well, let's see, four Greek words that he's using for 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 um, for reconcile. It is a word. The root word is alasso. So alasso, a l l a s s o, alasso. I think of a lasso, you know, like that, you know, like that. I'm gonna lasso you, you know, pull you in, right, you know. Like that, okay? But it means to exchange. Um, one commentator says that um, it means to exchange enmity for peaceful relations. Exchange your enmity, your division, your hatred, your rejection, all that for peace relations. Okay, there's exchange. Um, Paul uses it in Romans 1, he says that men exchange the truth about God for a lie. He uses a, a similar, a, a metalasso, 
Um, if you look at Romans 5, go to Romans 5. Romans 5, he, he says this, another similar word. Verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, and much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. There's a recon- there is an a exchange. His Son for peace. There's the exchange. Okay? You know, sometimes when you're at odds with somebody, there has to be exchange, right? When you're at odds with somebody, there has to be a... Okay, I offend my wife. I said something, I mean, not right now, she's fine with me now, but if I did, I said something that was hurtful, right? Now, she's damaged or she's hurt, she's upset. And men, we always know when our wives are upset, right? Come on now. We know, okay, okay, I'm making sure you guys are awake. Making sure you're awake, because, you know, it is, it's Sunday night, you know, sorry, the Cardinals lost today, we are in mourning, I understand, Okay. But if I hurt her in some way by what I say, what I do, an attitude or something, now she's upset. Now there has to be exchange. What's that exchange? What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Jewelry, okay. (laughs) So you're, name your price. You can be Paul with the price is what you're saying. (laughs) Bargaining person, okay. Feel bad for Tim. <laughs> the exchange may be this. When I said such and such, it hurt you, and I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? Okay? I'm giving her something in exchange for peace. Now, the ball's in her court when I say that, and if I say it with a, you know, if I said, well, I said it because you did this, and you said now we're going back and forth. Now, that's a different kind of exchange, but that doesn't result in peace. It's just kind of back and forth, back and forth, and you don't get anywhere with that. You're sleeping on the couch if you do that. In outer darkness. There's an exchange. There's a presentation of something now. In exchange, she says, I forgive you. Now, that's sort of the idea there has to be an exchange. Enmity, okay, here's my, here's my sacrifice. I'm sorry. I, I was wrong. Or if you're like Fonzie, I was wrong, 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 wrong. Okay? There has to be that exchange. <clears throat> he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you want to go there real fast, 1 Corinthians 5, in verse 18, I hope this is a good verse because I wrote it down and didn't write down what actually it says here. First Corinthians 5. That's not the verse I'm looking for. Wait, wait, hold on. It's not, there's not even a, a verse. Maybe I wrote, see, things happen. Forget that verse because there's, no there's no verse 18 in chapter 5 of First Corinthians. So I exchanged that verse for a different verse. Okay. 2 Corinthians, see? There we go, 2 Corinthians. I, I had a feeling when I was turning there, I was like, ah. Oh, here we go. 2 Corinthians. 
Therefore, in fact, Paul's going to bring this up later in Ephesians, or actually in this chapter of Ephesians, which is kind of cool. He says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, is any, if there is any man in Christ, he is a new creature. Paul's actually going to bring this up in chapter 2 of Ephesians, which we haven't gotten to yet. All things have, uh, all things have passed away, because all things have become new. Now, verse 18, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There was an exchange. Christ for the peace. Christ came so we can go up to be with God. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In fact, we are ambassadors for Christ, he says. Be reconciled to God, he says. That's our ministry, is reconciliation, exchanging. He says that back in Ephesians, go back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians. But now in Christ, chapter 2, verse 13, and now in Christ you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. There's the main point. He is our peace. He's the one who reconciles it. You know what peace means? It's not the cessation of war. It's the bringing together of two opposite people and forces and groups into one. That's what peace really is. It's not laying down your guns, that kind of thing. Or that's, that's not what peace is. Peace is bringing two opposite sides into one. It's like Jew and Gentile. Bring them into one. Husband and wife. Bring them into one. Brother and sister, bring them to one. It's uniting two people. Now, this is kind of cool. He says that you who were formerly far off, this idea of far and near in verse 13 was used in the Old Testament. Gentile nations were described as far off. And Israel described as being near. He's saying, you who are far off have been brought near. You have been brought, which is a passive verb, which means that God has brought you. You're the recipients of God's grace to bring you near to Christ. There's no self-effort. There's no, there's no efforts on the Gentile person or the unsaved person to do it. It's the drawing of God. Okay, It's bringing peace. Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. Now, here's the thing. Oh, what time is it? What time is it? Can I go a few more minutes? Because I haven't gotten to the part I want to get to. Okay? Okay. So Tim just sacrificed his, his song. Okay. Peace, bro. Peace. Okay. <laughs> How is this done? I want to, I want to share, this is, I'm going to this, this one point. How did he do this? He made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, we're not going to develop this all tonight. We'll continue this next week, but I have to make this one point. Okay. He says, he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments. Okay, we're not going to develop all this tonight, but here's what the concept is. When Paul is thinking about this, he's thinking about the temple. Okay? He's thinking about the temple. That um, in the temple, there was, if there was the, the building itself, the temple itself. 
Then you had various courts around the temple, and they had it all segregated. And I'll read to you a description uh, of it. In fact, um, there, there was a wall. There was, a, there was different sections. So you had, uh, let me just read the description real fast. Um, so you had the, uh, well, you had part of the temple, which was this. You had the court of the Gentiles, as it was called. You had the court of the Gentiles. And it was the outermost portion of the, of the, the, of the temple layout, okay? The court of the Gentiles. So if you're Gentile, you can come and worship God, but you could only come so far, okay? You came to, a, I think it's four foot high, if I remember correctly, because they, they found inscriptions and found descriptions of this wall. You came to this wall that had an various warnings I think it was 13 or 16 places that had this warning and basically said, hey, if you're Gentile and you cross this wall, if you die, it's, it's on your head. It's not on us. Basically, you do not cross this wall, is what it says. Do not even think of, don't cross this wall, because if you do and you die, it's your fault. You'll have yourself to blame. In fact, they found, um, they found an inscription that says something to that, to that fact that uh, um, you know, you're, you'll be blamed for your own, your own death, you know. Then you had the court, you had the, court, uh, the women court, the court of the men as well, on the other side of the wall. In fact, I think, if I remember correctly, that you had to go upstairs, so many sta- flights of stairs, or so many stairs to get to the, to the, Jew, uh, to the Jew- Jewish court. So Gentiles were even down there, not even on the same level. So you had a different level, you had a wall, then you go up to a little, little higher level, now you're in the Jewish section, you know. And the women had their portion, and you had the men had their portion, you know. Paul says, when he's thinking about this, that barrier wall, there was a barrier wall, Christ has took that down. Now, he's going to refer to this barrier wall as actually the commandments, which we'll talk about next week. But for illustration purposes, it's this. Here you have one group who in one sense physically is higher than the other group. In the second sense, they're not only physically higher, they can go closer. Let's pretend this is the Holy of Holies, right? Let's pretend this is Holy of Holies. So you have, in the, in the temple, you had the temple itself, you came in, you had various instruments and whatnot, but you had a holy place, and then you had a curtain, big huge curtain, really thick, and the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt, right? You had the Holy of Holies, and you had this big, thick curtain, maybe, I don't know, so thick, eight inches thick or so. It's really, really thick, okay? So as a Jewish man, you can come into the court of, Gent- uh, court of the, uh, the, not the Gentiles, the, the man, what's the word I'm looking for? The men's court, whatever you call it. Paul is saying that that wall that kept you has been torn down. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> He's going to talk about that this wall, which, is, which actually is illustration of, of the commandments of God, specifically the ceremonial commandments, has been taken away. So now there's no more, no more wall. Now, in the practical side of things, two things occur. One, there's a feeling superiority against another person. And the second thing is, is building of walls. And God says, listen, 
Christ took down the major wall that allowed this person to come all the way. And not only that, he took down this wall too. Okay? To approach God. There's a level playing field here, you know? Paul is saying that wall that prevents that person from feeling has been taken down. I feel like sometimes, not this, well, we're going to have to develop this next week. There's different kinds of walls, aren't there? I was thinking about this this past weekend. I was thinking about there's brick walls. I'm laying bricks. And some of us actually have some brick walls. And some of us have really thick walls, too, in our hearts. Somebody can't get past a certain point in your life. You got a wall up. You have a you have a wall. Some walls are for your protection. You build a wall because you want to be protected. Some walls are like fences, but they're electric fences. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they're electric fences. You better stay. You walk up to an electric fence. I ain't going near that person, right? Now, Christ, we're going to develop this more next week, I promise you. You can't take down a wall just by saying, get over it, right? You can't take down a wall just by knocking it over and being destructive. I mean, you sort of want to, but it doesn't always work that way, Right? And Christ is the one who, if he took down the wall that separated Jew and Gentile, he wants to take down the wall sometimes in our hearts that we've built up that separate the most holy place from the outer courts. See, isn't it wonderful that, here's the thing about it, is that the, the Jewish man that's in here looked down at this person and said, I got this wall and you can't get past it. But they were also limited. You know that this person here couldn't go into the Holy of Holies? One man, a high priest, one time a year, Yom Kippur, after sacrifice and prayer and fasting and all that, and pray to God that nothing happens to the man, went into that. So in reality is, these people can only get close to God to a point, and those people as well can only get close to God. The point is, Christ has already remedied that situation he wants you to allow us so there's no wall so we can enter into his worship uninhibited of trust, of faith. Does that make sense? Where the ultimate thing is now, do you know if you want to walk with somebody, here, walk with me. It is easier to walk with somebody when you're on the same level. Okay? That's the first thing. You're on the same page. And you're going the same direction. Okay? It's hard, though. <laughs> Stay down there. Stay down there. Now, you imagine. Imagine if I'm up here. Can we go really very far? Okay, I'm gonna, this is a bad illustration here. It's hard when you're on different levels. Now it's even harder if you have a wall between you. And you want to go to God... You want to go to God and say, Lord, I love you. I have this wall between me and my wife. I love you. You know? 
And God says, uh-uh. I gotta work on that wall that's in your heart. I gotta work on that wall that's preventing you from really surrendering yourself to trusting me. Because if there's a wall that's preventing anybody from coming in, it's, there's, there's the tendency, Lord, uh, can't touch that part. Sorry. I'm gonna trust you, but that area, God, goes, God loves to go in your house and, of your heart and say, what's this linen closet doing here? I never knew this was here. This extra garage. Right? It's like, it's like we have to do a rummage sale or something around here, you know, because it's kind of full. Does that make sense? That's what the Lord wants to do. Because if God took down that wall to allow two opposite people to come in to freely to worship God. By the way, when Christ died, this wall, this veil was torn from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Right? You guys saw in the end, you know, right? In the, you know, there was refilling the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know? It was torn. It wasn't just this wall, which was later actually destroyed in 70 AD, you know, but that wall was, in other words, there's an uninhibited entrance into God's presence. And that same uninhindrance is also something that God says, I want you to have not only with me, but with those around you as well, especially the ones you love the most. God says, I want to work on those walls. Let's stop. We'll continue this next week. We'll develop further. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word, that you bring people who are separate back into one, Lord. You've given us also a ministry of reconciliation, of peace, Lord, of not only describing and declaring the peace that Christ has brought us with God, but the peace that we are to have with one another, Lord. This exchange, Lord. Father, I pray right now, Lord, would you minister to everyone in this room, Lord, whether we have any kind of wall in our heart, Lord, preventing us from entering into your worship, entering your presence, or enjoying your presence, or trusting others, Lord, would you help us to lay that all down at the foot of the cross? Because Christ has defeated, Christ has been victorious. Christ made the exchange that allowed us to to have that intimacy with the Lord. Father, would you work on our hearts, Lord God? If there's brick walls, if there's electric fence walls, whatever is in our heart, God, would you work on healing those areas, God? In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing one more song.